0: Hello, morning, afternoon, evening, however you found us, wherever you are. Thank you for doing that and being there. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside the day of some of the most successful authors. This week, we're chatting to Leslie Cara. Her debut, The Rumour, was the best-selling crime thriller debut of 2019. And she's got a brand new novel out. It's her third. It's called The Dare. Now, we talk about themes and how she links one idea to another also why it's good to be bored as a writer and you can hear why her writer's routine is is all about waiting
2: it's definitely an ebbing and flowing of energy i mean i start off it takes me a while to get back into it i usually sort of read through what i've written on the previous day and i edit it i'm very much an edit as i go along person I know some writers, sort of they, they say that they literally spew out the first draft. They get it out as quickly as possible. I don't do that. I My drafts all merge into the one document, so I'm constantly editing as I go. Um, so, yeah, it takes me a while to get back into the flow by sort of tweaking words here and um, checking what I've done the, the day before. But then I sort of hit that magic spot usually. If I sit at the desk long enough... I eventually start to get back into the get into the next scene.
0: There is more with Leslie Cara in this week's Writers Routine. Yes. Hello, welcome along. Thanks for finding us. This is Writer's Routine. My name's Dan Simpson. Uh, this week chatting to Leslie Cara the best-selling author of The Rumour, which sold loads all around the world, been published in so many different languages. Uh, It's being converted... Converted? It's being adapted for the telly. And she followed that up with Who Do You Tell? And the new one is The Dare. It's all about Lizzie, who is suspected of having a part to play in the death of a friend, Alice, way back, and how someone is out to get revenge many years later. We talk about how it all came to her during a walk with her friend. Uh, Also, why writing a novel a year makes her realise that at times she needs to slightly let go, which is tough as a perfectionist and and just kick things up a gear. We talk about why she likes to read aloud and how she loves the process of discovery that writing a book is. Now, the rumour was so successful, as I said, what mangled earlier on. She sold the story to a TV production company, uh, i've always been very interested in that, and i 've never kind of plucked up the courage to talk about business like that, but we do with Leslie. She chats about the process of how she was wooed in a London members club. I think it 's a brilliant deep dive into a writer 's day. this one I hope you'll enjoy it too. Uh, we start as always with what Leslie Cara sees around her in the place where she sits down to write.
2: Well, I'm in a very small study, which is a sort of box room, really, and um, on the upstairs in my house. And so I've got a window to my right, where I can see into the street. So I'm aware of what's going on. But it's a quiet street. So uh, not not too disturbed by that. Um, I've got a sort of desk that goes along, runs along one length, one wall. And um, above that, a built-in bookshelves where I've got all my sort of admin and books, my my own books and copies of you know the foreign translations. Um, I've also got um, a plastic R two D two that's about six inches high, um, which was given to me when when the rumor was first published um, and the TV rights were sold. Um lots of production companies were sort of sending me things in the post. It was a very exciting time. They were sort of pitching to me. And um, I got a, because one of the characters, the little boy in the room has a toy, an R2-D2 toy. <laughs> they sent me this in a, in a beach bag with a stick of rock. So that was quite
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask you something about that. I mean, you can go into as much detail as you'd like with this, really, because I know it's kind of in the process. But when you've got quite a lot of TV production companies pitching their wares to you, uh, you know hand in the air saying pick me pick me pick me uh, what makes you go for one rather than the other what was it about who you chose that you felt right these are the people to make the rumour
2: right well it was quite an interesting process because after all these pitches came through the post um then i was invited um to um it was actually quite exciting to invited invited to a, a private members club in soho and they all came in in, in one day one after the other six different production companies so it was quite um quite interesting um in in the end i i went for the one that showed the most enthusiasm i mean they were all enthusiastic they all loved it and and had good ideas about how they would how they would make a tv series out of it but um you know it's not just the money that you go for obviously you know the money is a factor as well that but, but, but you know having said that you don't necessarily go for the one that offers you the most money. If if another company seems to, you know, their ideas tally more with your own about what, how you see the, you know, that the novel being made into a TV series. But um, I mean, it's it, it may never happen, as you know. These things are very exciting, but uh, they take an age to actually come <laughs> to
0: fruition. <laughs> yeah, don't they? Just listen. <laughs> let me take you back to your room. What colour are the walls?
2: Um, the colour of the walls, they're white, actually. it's Because it's a small room, I thought a colour might be a little bit overpowering. So the walls are white, um, but there's quite a lot of red in the room because I've got a red blind and a red picture, and um, a lot of the covers of my books are red, the room particularly. So it, it all sort of blends in.
0: If I were to wander into uh, the, the box room study, apart from being blinded by the red, would I have <laughs> any clue as to what you're working on, what the current project is? Is there post-it notes? Is there um, like a little pin board with just ideas? Would I have any sense over what story you were telling?
2: I think you would. Because this is just my study, it's not used for anything else. I feel free to sort of leave things around in it. And it's it's quite messy sometimes. Um, it's uh, it, There are a lot of post-its notes about. Um, sometimes I stick them on the wall. But what I've started doing now is sticking them on sheets of paper in a sort of file, um, so that I can flick through and move them about. Um, so you would see post-it notes, you would also see printouts from various websites um, that I'm doing research from. Um, and yeah, just... put if there's a bit of paper with some space on it, I will make a note on it. I always intend to be very organised and get myself a special notebook for each new novel, which I know some writers do. But uh, I, 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 I try to do that. I get the notebook, but then I forget to take it with me. So I just write on anything. And, and the trouble is you get loads of notes and then you lose them. So I, 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 I'm not terribly organised, I must admit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um uh, listen I know you went on the um, the Faber Academy course. Yes. Can I just I know this is quite an early juncture to do this but I I am just uh, I'm just curious about why you made that decision. So you were in you, you were a teacher is that right?
2: I was yes. And then I you,
0: you the decide you want to become a writer so you you take a course. Why are you why have you gone down that avenue when so many people when they decide they want to write simply just start typing away.
2: Well, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer and um, I, all through my 20s and 30s, I was writing, um, but I never really had the confidence to to, to take it much further. And, and I never really completed anything. I had sort of three chapters here and four chapters there. Um, and it wasn't really until I was in my 40s and I had a period of ill health. I was off work for some time. And while I was recuperating. I became very depressed, actually, because not only had I been very ill and had been in physical pain, I I suffered from a condition called endometriosis. And um, but my husband said to me, you know, you've always wanted to write. Is that what's making you depressed? And I said, yes, it is. I really want to want to give this my all you know and so while I was recuperating I started writing and then I just happened to see an advert for the Faber Academy and I thought well this is my chance to sort of try and take myself seriously as a writer and I applied for it not you know not thinking I would have any chance of getting on but but they did accept me and uh, that really turned it around for me because Although I'm not sure a creative writing course can actually teach you to write, I don't think they can as such, but they can help you with the craft of writing and they can give you lots of inside information about the publishing industry. And just meeting other writers and having feedback on your work, that was absolutely invaluable for me. I, I absolutely loved doing that course. I, I You know, I, I just loved travelling up to Bloomsbury and, and doing it. It was great. It was the best thing I've ever done. And I've met lots of lovely people on there.
0: So mainly about confidence then? I think so.
2: I think it's about taking yourself seriously. Um, I mean, you know, when I started off, there wasn't twitter there wasn't facebook i think if if there'd been all that sort of social media and the 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 the, the support that writers have now there's so many writing communities aren't there and programs like your, your like your own you know and, and lots of information that wasn't really around when i was younger um, or if it was around it was harder to access um, and so, yeah, it, it just seemed the right time for me. It all seemed to happen in my in my forties.
0: Let me take you back to uh, to the room. So you, you've taken us uh, around the walls. We've seen the bookshelf. We, we've seen the, the the window. How about what's on the desk? Apart from the R two D two, what are you writing on? Um, a, a rather rather nichely, but what what software do you use? What font are you writing with, Leslie?
2: Right. Okay. Well, I I have an iMac, and I have one with a, quite a large screen. Um, So I've got that on the desk in front of me. Um, I've got my printer. I've got a set of trays, which actually I wouldn't recommend. I bought these work trays to try and get me organized. But as soon as anything goes in them, that's it. I forget it's there. So I actually do better with a pile of messy things on the desk next to me. Um, I use Word. I did buy Scrivener with every intention of using it because I know a lot of people swear by it, don't they? And I bought a book to help me to use it called Scrivener for Dummies. But I think I need the Scrivener for Very Dumb Dummies <laughs> because I really can't work it out. And I think the trouble is when you're in the middle of writing a novel, you don't want to also have to learn a new system So I will teach myself Scrivener one day, but I haven't got round to it yet. So at the moment, I I, I stick stick with word. (laughs) On an ideal writing day, I don't have anything else to worry about. I don't have any appointments or interviews or anything like that. Um, I don't get up terribly early, but that's not to say I don't get up early sometimes. It all depends what time of year it is and what's going on. But I tend to sort of get up about eight o'clock maybe, go down, have a cup of tea, have some breakfast. My husband, we, we do the crossword together. Then we have our coffee and do a couple of puzzles. Sounds very boring and middle-aged, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, I am, so hey-ho. <laughs> um, that kind of sets my brain going, doing the crossword. And then I poodle upstairs to my little study and start work. So I guess I start work at about 9, 9.15, that kind of time unless it's a morning when I'm doing a um, an online exercise class, because I used to go to the gym a couple of times a week, but uh, obviously can't do that now. So I've been doing online Tai Chi classes and things. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I come up and I work, and I probably work for most of the day. Um, I, I do have a break. I have a, a lunch break, short lunch break, but I probably keep going till about four or five in the afternoon, kind of keep office hours, really. Um, But I never really switch off, to be honest, particularly at this stage. I'm meant to be delivering book four, the first draft at the end of this month. And so in a sense, this is the most intense time for me when I'm working all the time and thinking about it all the time. Whereas if I was in the early stages of writing something, I would be I would be spending less time at my desk. I'd probably be doing about six hundred words a day, and then packing up and going and doing something else.
0: Um, um, well, thank you so much for sparing some of this precious time when you're meant to be delivering <laughs> chatting to me. That's very kind of you. Uh, just, I guess when 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 the work is going really heavily, when you are keeping office hours, uh, can you try and describe? How those seven or eight hours look. Are are you pretty good at sitting there and just carrying on typing? Maybe a little break for some lunch and then you crack back on with it? Or is it like an ebbing and flowing of energy?
2: It's definitely an ebbing and flowing of energy. I mean, I start off, it takes me a while to get back into it. I usually sort of read through what I've written on the previous day. And I edit it. I'm very much an edit as I go along person. I know some writers sort of they they say that they literally spew out the first draft. They get it out as quickly as possible. I don't do that. I my drafts all merge into the one document, so I'm constantly editing as I go. Um, so yeah, it takes me a while to get back into the flow. By sort of tweaking words here and um, checking what I've done the, the day before, but then I sort of hit that magic spot. Usually, if I sit at the desk long enough, I eventually start to get back into the get into the next scene. I like to have some idea of what I'm going to write, though. I usually know what scene I'm, I'm going to be sitting down to write that day. If I don't know what's going to happen, that's when I can get really frustrated um so I I do like to have a little sort of plan of what I'm going to write on that particular day
0: um on the days where maybe you aren't so sure what you're going to write how do you solve that puzzle um is it you know like frantically banging your head against the wall how are you how are you kind of I know it's a really airy fairy question I mean it's not quite the where do you get your ideas from but when it's when it's a real struggle on the day how what what processes are you doing which lets you figure out what's coming next
2: yes and it can be a struggle sometimes I've actually got a picture of um, Van Gogh or van, it, it, when when he's got his head in his hands you know that um I can't remember what it's called at eternity's gate and he's sort of look head in head, head in hands in despair and that's how I feel sometimes when I can't write so what do I do um I keep a writing journal So I do sort of write all my fears and worries about what I'm writing in that. I type it up so it could be something like, oh, and another thing I'm worried about. And I just sort of, it's like a stream of consciousness onto the page. And that really helps, I think, because that can unblock some of the concerns and things that have been holding me back. So I do swear by my writing journal. Um, I also do a lot of sort of visual things as well as the post-its. I I like to work out what the theme of the novel is. So, for example, in my last novel, in Who Did You Tell? I had the, I had a sort of big sort of circle, and in the middle, I would put the theme, which was accept, acceptance, and then all the different narrative threads would go off of that um, circle in the middle. And I need to make sure that each of them ties into that theme. And sometimes, doing something in a pictorial way, a diagrammatic way, can help help me break through when when just sort of writing notes doesn't get me anywhere um the idea
0: of a theme fascinates me the idea that you've got a, like a 400 odd page novel and you've decided way back when you started that the whole thing is gonna boil down to various ideas about one word um in the, the case of who do you tell it was uh, it was acceptance how are you coming across what theme you are going to write about? How are you defining, right, this book is going to be about, bam, acceptance? Well,
2: I don't think it happens for me at the beginning. I, I get about halfway through a book before I'm really fully aware of what the theme is. And in fact, that's when I do most of my planning, when I've written half of the book. When I start, I've usually just got a, a rough idea of the the opening scene and the hook and maybe how the novel will finish and a couple of the plot points along the way. But I don't really know how it's going to pan out. And when I hit about 35,000, 40,000 words, I've got more of an idea of what the novel is going to be about. And that's normally the time when I start doing all these diagrams and things. Um, I found a book. There's a book called um, Book Architecture by um, Stuart Horwitz. And he's very keen on, you know, deciding on what your theme is, And rather than using sort of other narrative structures like the hero's journey and things like that, he recommends, you know, deciding on the different narrative threads that make up your book. So, for example, you know, in The Dare, the main character suffers from epilepsy. So one of the threads might be epilepsy. And then I can map how each chapter how much of the epilepsy storyline falls in each chapter, and if I haven't mentioned it for six chapters, I might think, "Oh, I need to mention that again." Do you see what I mean? So it's a it's a way of sort of mapping the different narrative threads against the theme. But it's it's not something I can do until I've until I've written half of the novel. To be honest,
0: does it come about naturally? The 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 theme or. At times, when you are forty odd thousand words in, and you're kind of thinking, right, something needs to to link all this together. I need to I need to come back to some idea, some motif that's going to really just help me bring uh, recall things later on. How natural is that, Leslie?
2: Um, I don't know. That's a really hard question to answer because I have to think about it and I write lots of different notes what I think it's about, and then what tends to happen is that they all coalesce into the one word. So, for example, the novel I'm writing now, it's the, the theme that I've decided is loyalty. Um, and obviously with The Dare, it's, well, it's, it's it, that was slightly more difficult. I think that's the thing, not all novels, you, can, you can't plan them in the same way. Um, what works for one novel might not work for another. I suppose with the dare, it's memory, isn't it, is the overriding theme and and revenge, of course. Um, I do tend to feature revenge in my novels quite a bit, although the one I'm currently writing, as I say, that, that, that tends to be more about loyalty and family. I'm not terribly motivated by word count, to be honest. I mean, when I said 600 words, that seems to be in the early stages, that seems to be the number of words i can comfortably write in one day that i'm pleased with i'm more concerned with scenes so if i've written a scene that i'm happy with it doesn't matter whether it's 500 words or 1400 words i feel i feel happy if i've moved the novel on in some way um and i've you know i'm i'm inching it forwards so i don't get too het up about Word count. I mean, I tried many years ago. I tried to do the nano and I just couldn't get on with that because the pressure of having to write sixteen hundred words a day just didn't motivate me in the slightest. Um, It's 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 writing a scene that's meaningful and that I'm happy with. That that's what I consider to be a good day if I've done if I've done that.
0: And you you mentioned the moment where early on. You maybe are happy to not do as much as you do later on um uh, how do you f- decide okay, now is the time where I need to properly properly crack on um and I need to really get down to it i, I can't do again the arbitrary six hundred words and then go off and do something
2: else? I think deadlines have got a lot to do with that Dan. <laughs> And knowing that, you know, time is of the essence because I write, I've sort of, I'm on that sort of writing a novel a year schedule. Um, I can't spend too long. I mean, in an ideal world, I would just potter about and sort of, write for a few hours each day and then go and do something different. But I I can't do that because I would, you know, it would take me years to write a novel. And that's probably why it took me so long (laughs) to get a novel published in the first place, because that was my method, methodology before. So I think that early stage when you're discovering, you know, what it's going to be about, you need that time to think, you need to go for walks and be bored. Boredom is a great Tool for a writer because when you're not doing anything, your mind is working on all these different plots and things. So I think, yeah, in the early stages, you need that time, that space around the writing. But as you start to move nearer your deadline and things start to get a little bit more pressured. And also that coincides with the ramping up of the tension in, in the book because I write crime fiction or well, psychological suspense um, fiction. The second half of the novel is where things really start to heat up, isn't it? And so that probably that coincides with my urgency to write it as well. The pace of the the story dictates the pace of my, my writing and my workload.
0: It's interesting that you talk about the book a year thing and also that, you, in fairness, it took you quite a long time to get your first novel published, because you had many different goes at it. And then finally, you settled on it with the help of the Faber Academy course. So when you've gone from, I don't know, 30 odd years of sporadic writing, and taking a lot of time over your first novel, and then being in a position where you're contracted in to do a book a year, how are you planning those 12 months to make sure it's happening and that you are and you're consistent with your work like when will you get an idea how long will you give that to breathe and gestate i guess when will you sit down how long will you give yourself for the first draft
2: okay well i usually start to write the novel in about august september um and then i deliver so for example i'm i'm delivering this one at the end of march i should really have delivered it at the end of january but um lots went on last year well obviously <laughs> lockdown
0: <laughs> yeah there was yeah there was a few things um, yeah. yeah just
2: a few things yeah just a few global pandemic type things. But I also had a lot of family commitments as well with my elderly parents. And so there was a lot of other things going on in my life. So I needed a little bit of extra time. Normally, I would have probably delivered it at the end of January, beginning of Feb. Um, and then, of course, the structural edits come in and and then the copy edits. So I presume, yeah, it's, it's usually about end of May, end of June, that a novel is signed off and as finished. Um, and then that gives me the summer to sort of have a bit of a break. I know, I think I heard Shari La talking to you, and she said she literally starts the next novel the minute she delivers yeah. one. <laughs> I'd like to be like that, and I feel that I should be like that, but I'm not. I do need a break. Um, and I think last year I had too much of a break. I spent too long in the garden, and I should have got cracking. But I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite, it's all or nothing really for me. And um, I need a couple of months when I'm just dreaming and doing other things. And then I start afresh in September. I'm kind of, you know, the new, it's like a new term, new term, um, new novel.
1: <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
0: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, Leslie mentioned going on the Faber Academy course. And remember, uh, they sponsored the show through March and that code is still active. You can save money on any online course on the Faber Academy website by using our code WRITERSROUTINE21. Just type that in Writer's Routine 21 when you're checking out and you'll get a 10% discount on any online course or a manuscript assessment as well. So you can get an MOT of your WIP. If you're after industry standard teaching uh, for all the reasons that Leslie just enthused about, uh, it's a really good offer for you to make the most of. Writer's Routine 21. Type that in when you check out for any online course or manuscript assessment at faberacademy.co.uk. Quickly, if you're enjoying the show, if you've learned anything that might maybe help the way that you write your story, the way that you get your words down and plan your day, uh, you can support the show to say thanks for that over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just a couple of dollars a month really helps us. It really helps us keep bringing you chats with the biggest authors around as often as we can. Uh, For that, you don't just get our thanks. uh, You can get some merch sent to you just a little token to say that you're part of the writing community that we've got going on you will also get access to that community online where we try and have like little advice sharing sessions on patreon making it a little writing routine social media kind of thing you get that there's also a chance for you to get bonus episodes and a way for your book to sponsor the show so if lockdown, if the whole last year has kind of turned your big release into a little damp squib, uh, let me let me plug your wares for you. I will give your book a good tour cap, I promise, to make that happen. Just support the show uh, over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Let's get back to it then with Leslie Cara talking about her new novel, The Dare. In this part, we hear why she thinks she has sold so many books. It's quite a hard question to answer. You can hear Leslie have a have a good go at it though. Also, why easy reads are never easy writes. We chat about what she likes to know before she starts writing and why she is so precise with her words. And we pick things up talking about the dare and where that very first idea came from.
2: The light bulb moment. Um, let me think, well, I had the idea a few years ago, and it, it was when I was thinking about a walk that my friend and I used to go on when we were 13. And it involved walking across the open countryside. We followed a public footpath. Um, and that was in the 70s. You know, children had much more freedom than, then than they do now. I'm not sure I'd have been happy for my 30. I haven't got a daughter, but my if I had a 13 year old daughter, I'm not sure I'd be happy for her to walk across open countryside on her own across an open rail crossing. <laughs> But uh, Dawn and I, my friend Dawn and I, we did and we used to have a great time and we used to love watching the trains go by. And um, and then recently when we were, you know, just a few years ago, actually, we decided we would revisit our childhood haunts and we did the walk again and we were quite taken aback and a little bit disappointed, actually, at how much it had changed because it didn't seem so much in the middle of nowhere anymore. Um, you know it had been built on there were the houses built on some of the countryside and the railway line we couldn't even get onto the railway line Um, it was all fenced off there was a footbridge and it just got me thinking how you know our memories from childhood how different they are when we go back and revisit them because you know what happens when we're children the memories we form are, are, are skewed aren't they by our preoccupations at the time And um, and I you know I suppose I I might have heard something on the news about two little girls being killed on a level crossing. There've been lots of cases where children have died on on level crossings. They're always tragic, tragic cases. And those sort of ideas just sort of um, fused together in that strange way that they do. And uh, yeah, and that that was really the beginning of the dare because it starts with a, with a walk in the countryside when um, one of the girls gets killed by a train, and of course that didn't happen to to me or my friend, thank goodness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, how is how how does that process work, Leslie? As a, as a writer now with psychological suspense, is it an active thought that you sit there and you think, right? I need to write a new book, and you kind of mine experiences and memories you have for uh, stuff that you can turn into a gold of a story. Is it an active forced process like that or are these things somehow bubbling away and then they decide to pop up at the precise moment that you need to start work in September,
2: Ha-ha. that's an interesting question. Um, I think it can be all of all or any of those things. I mean, sometimes an idea just comes to you. For example, for the rumor, I was just standing at my window one day, looking out and thinking, "What would it be like if, you know, I was um, somebody who with a different identity? You know, if I had a, a, a if I was living in a safe house, I, I might have heard something on the news about a." a notorious sort of criminal who'd sort of been released under a new identity or something. I was probably hearing something on the news that got me thinking about it. So it's often a case of things you hear on the news, stories you read in the paper, memories that you have, snippets of conversation that you hear. Um, It can be any number of things. Um, I mean, with Who Did You Tell? It was... uh, a member of my own family was having problems with alcohol and um, we were supporting them and helping them through rehab. And so I was reading a lot about AA and the AA philosophy. And that sort of struck me as a really good idea for a psychological novel, you know, this idea of sharing your shameful secrets with a room of other addicts. So there's a sort of strange percolation that goes on. I I wouldn't be able to say where the ideas come from they just they're just there and they filter through your subconscious somehow
0: and and how much work do they need so with the dare when you've got these these ideas that have come together about the girls on a walk uh, a tragic accident <clears throat> uh, what do you need to do before you feel confident enough to sit there and start typing that first sentence
2: um i usually with the first chapter that usually just comes quite automatically for me. I just have a scene in my head, like I had this idea of them on the walk having an argument. And so I just started writing it and to see where that would go. Um, The actual, the way the novel is structured came later. So I will probably write sort of three or four chapters, maybe more and see how it looks. I read back a lot. I I read aloud um to see how things sound that's a really important part of my process i'm a great you know believer in reading your work aloud um and sometimes you just it it, it sounds right or it sounds wrong and you 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 fiddle around with it until you get the right the right tone um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question.
0: I can't. Uh, I don't no, no, it's, it, it's it's perfectly fine. I was. I'm just kind of thinking about the overarching story. You've, you've kind of spoken about this earlier on, but when you do sit down to to write that first sentence and you've got the initial idea, how much of the rest of the journey will you know? I I guess if you were to imagine it as a jigsaw puzzle, mm. um, how much do you know about what the big picture will become, uh, and how much are you just kind of like leafing around in the box, trying to find the edges to, to, to figure it out as you as you go.
2: Okay. Well, I normally know the ending. I know the beginning. I know the ending. That's not to say the ending might not change, but I need to have an ending in mind when I'm writing it. Um, and I, I, I like to decide what the midpoint will be, the sort of twist or the reveal. I, 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 and I, I work that out. I think of all the different things that could happen. Um, but what, a lot of it is a process of discovery. So I'll know the beginning, I'll know the end. I might probably know the the middle or one of the major plot twists. And then I literally have to write to find out what will happen. I'm not one of these writers who does very, very detailed spreadsheets. I do do a chapter outline, but that's usually after I've written half of the novel. Um, And then I do a chapter outline with a timeline as well, because I've got my knickers in a real twist with timelines before and copy editors, you know, come back with this list of dates. And how can this have happened? Because this happened then. And you think, oh, no, (laughs) I'm never going to get into that pickle again. So, uh, yeah, after I've written uh, 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 several chapters, I will then I will then summarise what I've written and put the timeline against that. Um, But, yeah, a lot of it's a process of discovery. So I guess I fall between Plotter and Panster, really. I'm I'm somewhere in the middle of those two. When you write, you know, commercial fiction, genre fiction, you do need to be aware of those tropes, but obviously you don't want to do things that have been done, you know, you don't want to overdo things. Um, So it's a case of trying to work within a loose structure but making it your own um it, yeah that's a hard one it's it's uh there are certain things that you want certain beats you want to hit like i know that you know after i've written a quarter of the novel so at the 25 percent mark there needs to be some kind of turning point you know a, a call to action or something of that nature and I think if, you, if that doesn't appear, then that's when the novel can start to flag. And I think when, when you're reading it back and you think, oh, it's getting a bit boring here, it's because you're missing that plot point, that, that vital part that sort of twists the action somewhat and gets the reader setting off into a different direction. Uh,
0: may I say uh, you are, you're quite precise with your words when you speak uh which is fantastic is that the same with you writing I know that you said you're not like a vomit drafter you're not someone you're, you're someone that quite carefully edits as you go are you when you write are you trying to even prevent much of the editing I guess I'm asking how perfect and how precise is each word that you write need to be
2: um, well, I am very much—I I suffer from perfectionism, and I do—I do say suffer because I think it is a bit of an affliction, really. I—I um, I don't like messy drafts. I like to continually edit, and I do agonise over sentences and lines. And I find it very difficult to write the next chapter if I'm not happy with the preceding chapter. So. Uh, it does take me quite a long while to write my drafts, but they tend to be in pretty good shape when I've done them. I mean, that not, that's not to say they're perfect by any means. My editor, Sarah Adams, will tell you that. <laughs> um, you know, there are often lots of structural edits to do, but I, I have very few line edits my edits tend to be on the developmental, so they might be more to do with character motivation or the, the structure of the plot itself and what's not working and where the pace needs to improve. But at, at the line stage, the, the line level, um, I don't need a f- too many edits because I, I really honed them. Um, yes, yeah, so that's, that's my sort of... Um, rather anal way of approaching the writing process.
0: Uh, Now, listen, I guess lastly, uh, so the rumour, the debut, that was the best selling crime thriller, something like that, over the debut of of 2019. Uh, Who Do You Tell? That was also a a Sunday Times bestseller. What does, I, I guess, the success of your first two books, how much pressure does that, then pile on future works that you do and and how do you deal with that how do you how do you manage the kind of sudden success that you've had after so long uh wanting to write but just not quite being able to
2: well yeah so long in the wastelands <laughs> <laughs> um well you know that the success was phenomenal and it was so unexpected and I absolutely I, I was thrilled I am still thrilled um you know, I could never have anticipated that happening. All I ever really wanted was to get an agent <laughs> and then to get a publishing deal. So for that to have happened was astonishing. And I st- I'm still pretty gobsmacked that both of my first two were in the Sunday Times top 10. It does. I mean, I wouldn't say it puts you under a pressure. I mean, obviously, you know, you you would like that to continue. Who wouldn't? Um But I think at the end of the day, it's the longevity that's important. And it's not all about getting into top 10. It's about selling copies and reaching readers. And I have to continually remind myself that the reason I write is because I enjoy writing. I enjoy the writing process, even on the bad days, which, you know, they do happen and I tear my hair out. But I always tell myself this is this is what you want to do nobody's forcing you to do this you know I, I could I could do a different job if I wanted to um and I think as long as I'm enjoying it and readers are reading it then you know all the business about how how well you do and what charts you make or don't make is is irrelevant really not irrelevant to your publishers obviously
0: <laughs> <laughs> can I let me ask you one last thing uh, and it, when you answer try and be like, don't worry about modesty. I would say, because there are like quite a few psychological suspense thrillers on the shelf. Quite a lot released over the course of a year. Uh, for you to have your debut being the best-selling crime thriller uh, of debut of twenty nineteen, for you to, as you've mentioned, have hit the Sunday Times bestseller list for your first two books, you must be doing something right. What do you think it, it is about your books that makes readers want them uh, so much?
2: Gosh, um, yes, that is quite a hard question to answer, isn't it, Um, without being um, big-headed. Yeah, no, um, do you know, the readers that engage with my work tell me that my books get them out of a reading slump or have got them out of a reading slump. People tell me they read my books very, very quickly And um, one woman actually said to me, or does it bother you that something that took you a year to write took me an afternoon to read? (laughs) And I say, no, I'm delighted at that because that's what I aim for. I hope that my writing is really accessible. I try to write as well as I can, but I also don't want the reader to get lost. I don't want them to think, oh, hang on, what's happening here? You know, I can't work out what's going on here. I want it to be very obvious what's happening and the plot easy to follow not necessarily I mean some people say I write easy reads well easy reads aren't easy writes believe me they are very difficult um but I do yeah I I aim for that sort of accessibility and um uh, that page turning quality which I hope that I have I mean you know reading is subjective isn't it some people are going to love your work some people are not um But, uh, yeah, that that sort of page-turning quality is what, I suppose, um, readers like. And um, I'll try to do. (laughs)
0: And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Leslie Cara for coming on. If you love the sound of The Dare, you can get a copy right now over at writersroutine.com or use the link in the episode notes wherever you're listening. Next week, we're chatting to Neve Campbell, fantastic writer. She was shortlisted for the Irish Book Awards last year. She's won a short story prize. We chat all about her debut, This Happy. That's coming up next week on the show. So follow us wherever you're listening so you'll never miss an episode and give us a review if you can as well. You can always get in touch on the website, writersroutine.com and on Twitter, we are at writersroutine there. And I will see you next week with Neve Campbell on the show. Until then, bye.